We got to ride around yesterday and see the rolling hills, that we called them. And um, uh, I grew up in Louisiana. I've I've been to the highest peak of Louisiana, and uh, my son can probably walk up it. <laughs> and then I moved to West Texas, where I believe it's the flattest place on earth. They say. You can watch your dog run away for three days and still see him. So I'm thankful for the rolling hills. Amen. I'm thankful for uh, your pastors, Pastor Jostrand, Dr. Jostrand. They've been so kind to us, uh, just their whole family, the church. I mean, y'all have been so, so kind to us, and I appreciate that. And we appreciate your prayers. Amen. I do feel led of the Lord tonight. I, I, I feel, you know, George Washington once said that he believed the key to victory is supply lines. Um, if you're going to win a war, um, you need to be connected to the, the source of power or your strength. So when battle after battle after battle keeps occurring, you have that supply line. And I believe one of the enemy's tactics is to separate us from that supply line. Separate you from God. Separate you from the church. Get you uh, isolated by yourself. And then slowly, slowly watch you begin to decay and then pounce on you. Amen. And so I, I, I just felt that strongly in my heart the last few days as I've been seeking the will of God. So if you have your Bibles with you to, tonight, I'll be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Amen. Praise God. Thankful for the Apostle Paul. Amen. Paul writing to the Corinthian church in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. We'll, we'll start with uh, verse 12. He says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of the one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Everyone say many. Amen. Praise God. It, uh, it means it's more than just you. It's more than just me. Uh, verse 15, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand... I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? He was letting us know that your diversity does not disqualify you from the body. You may not operate in the same strengths as the one sitting next to you. And you may not have the same talents or abilities as your pastor does, just, but just because you are different does not disqualify you from the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, 
where were the smelling. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. I think this is important to note that I, He's not trying to please the world. He says, I've placed you where you are as it has pleased me. Amen. Verse 19, And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. He's being cumbersome here, but he's really pushing the envelope. He's trying to uh, really put the, uh, put the nail on the head there and emphasize this. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22, I want you to remember this one. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Even though you may seem to be feeble, you're still necessary in the body. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Verse 25, he's starting to wind this thing up. He says that there should be no schism in the body. I don't want any division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Uh, he says that God does not want the body to be separated. And you need to learn to love each other as much as you love the one sitting next to you. You've got to learn to love the one across the church as much as you love the one sitting right in the same pew with you. And uh, the, the members of the body, they work together. And for example, I'll use the heart quickly. The heart is what we would probably call uh, the most important or vital member of the body. It, it does not only supply blood to itself, but throughout the whole body. And if that, that heart is not only serving itself, but others, the rest of the body, how much more should the rest of us serve the body? Amen. Verse 26, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. We weep with those that weep, and we rejoice with those that rejoice. And in verse 27, he sums it all up. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. You are the body. Amen. He was not just giving them an anatomy lesson or uh, bringing them to uh, revelations in science. He was just simply telling them, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And I want to preach to you tonight with the help of the Lord uh, that, that subject, the body of Christ. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your word. I ask that you would let it break us, let it shape us, and let it mold us, God. Lord, have your way with us. You are the potter, we're simply the clay, Jesus. And Lord, help us to decrease so that you can increase. And I pray that you would place your words into my mouth tonight, O oh God. And I pray, Lord, that there will be a ministering spirit tonight in this body, God. Let, let there be a ministering spirit that will begin to sweep throughout this place, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'll begin to renew tonight and you'll restore and you will strengthen. You will encourage tonight, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
We know that He is a God of love. The Bible says it all throughout, and we hear about it all the way through Sunday school. As we grow older, we hear the songs, Jesus loves me, and, and uh, it, our relationship is predicated upon love. And I'm thankful for the love of God. He is a, a loving God. But in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, in verse 16, uh, it lists, it gives us some things that God hates. And even though He is a loving God, and His mercy and His grace are forever, and we're thankful for those things, I think it's noteworthy that we find out what our God hates. And in chapter 6 and verse 16 of the book of Proverbs, it says, These six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. I hate these first six things, but that seventh one I especially despise. And, and it starts off in verse 17. Uh, it says, a proud look. I hate the look of pride. I, I hate pride because it causes you to look down on others and stick your nose up to them and make you think that you're better than everyone. And uh, pride does not promote humility. He says, I hate a proud look. And we should never look down on someone unless we're picking them up. Amen. And the next thing is a lying tongue. I hate uh, tongues that tell lies. And I hate hands that shed innocent blood. I hate a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. And a false witness that speaketh lies. And watch this, the seventh one says, And he that soweth discord among the brethren. I hate all these things, but that seventh one says, He that soweth discord among the brethren. In other words, God's saying, I hate division. I, I hate detachment. I, I hate separation. I hate it when the body that I created to work together in unity, to be one body, when it's separated. The enemy wants to separate you from the body. He wants to get you secluded by yourself. and He wants us to have division and contention among each other. Because he learned that if I can separate the marriage, I can get the church. If I separate the mama and the daddy, I can get the children. He found out that everything is weaker when it's separated. Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. It will fall. We, 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 we are meant to be together and, and work together, but uh, the enemy wants to separate us. And God says, I hate division. And if you look closely at these uh, six things and uh, these seven things here listed, they all are, they involve how we treat each other. Every one of those uh, can be linked to how we treat each other. God cares about how we treat each other. I'm thankful that your relationship with God is perfect, but how is your relationship with your brethren? I'm thankful that you got a prayer life with God, but can you truly love God if you hate the body? Can you truly have everything worked out with Him if you've got contention amongst ourselves? 
Amen. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, uh, Jesus says, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's important because before we can ever take up our cross, uh, before we can ever follow him, we've got to learn to deny ourselves. We've got to get to a place where we say, God, it's less about me and it's more about you. It's less about what I want and it's less about others. It's more about others. Even though that cross that Jesus carried had his name on it, the whole world was dependent upon him to carry. There is a cross with your name on it that you need to carry, but how many people are dependent on you to carry your cross? How many people are dependent upon us to look like Christians, to follow after the footsteps of Jesus? How many family members are dependent and they're watching you to see, are you being a Christian? Are you carrying your cross? Do you have a prayer life? Do you have everything worked out with God? How many are dependent upon us to carry our cross? And uh, in the book of Matthew in chapter 22 and verse 36, Jesus was asked a question. He says, it says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And verse 39, he says, The second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He said, you've got to get to a place in your Christianity, in your relationship with me, where you learn to love others as much as you love yourself. In other words, you've got to learn to care about others as much as you care about your own well-being. You've got to learn to minister to others' needs as much as you minister to your own. It's not a simple, simple type of love, church. And uh, when the Bible lists the fruits of the spirits in Galatians, the very first fruit that is listed is love. Because I believe if you have love, all the other fruits will follow. And I don't know if you can have any of the other fruits without first having love. And I find it interesting that Paul writing to the church in Corinth in chapter 12, he, he's writing about the body. He's talking about the body, how we're supposed to work together, how we're supposed to care for each other and be together and love each other. The next chapter, he doesn't skip a beat. He goes directly into what we deem the chapter of love. And he says in 13 and verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I get, have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Most other, if, if, if not all translations uh, right, put that word as love. He says, if I don't have love, I have nothing. 
He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Because charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. And it endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. I use that word charity purposely. Because even though it does mean the word love in our English language, the, the Greek were a little more detailed in their terminology. And, and that word charity is a form of love. But the Greek word for charity he uses there is agape. And agape means love that is affection. Uh, love, selfless love, uh, sacrificial love. It's love towards others. It's love in its highest form. And Paul was saying, if I don't have this special type of love, if I don't have this unnatural type of love, this sacrificial love, this selfless love towards others, uh, he says, I am nothing. Right. It's not an easy type of love. It's it's a selfless love. It's, it's a selfless love. Uh, it's a sacrificial love. Uh, it's, it's love in its highest form. Have you ever considered what it was that, that brought God down from heaven? What it was that caused Him to manifest Himself in the flesh. Can I tell you, it wasn't a simple kind of love. It wasn't just a natural, uh, kind of easy type of love. It was an agape type of love that caused Him to, take, uh, to manifest Himself in the flesh uh, and put Himself in a manger. It was a sacrificial type of love that caused Him to carry that cross. Uh, it was a love towards others uh, that caused Jesus uh, to die on Calvary because Jesus Jesus Christ loved the body so much that He came down and He died for the body because we were sickened with sin. We had an incurable disease. And He said, you need somebody to stand in the gap. You need somebody that's able to stoop down and do what you never could. And I'm going to give you a perfect example of this agape type of love. He loved the body so much that He died for it. He gave His life for it. It's an agape type of love. It's not an easy type of love. And I say that to say this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Jesus speaking. So if you get upset, you just pray with Him. There's nothing to do with me. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. That's, that's natural. That's easy. Spend enough time together, I can love my neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Can I tell you, this is not an easy type of love. Jesus was saying, if you want to be like me, if you want to have that agape type of love, you've got to learn to pray for those that hate you. You've got to learn to bless those that persecute you. You've got to learn to get on your knees when someone's rubbing your name in dirt instead of retaliating in violence 
You've got to shed some tears in a prayer closet somewhere and praying for them. It's not an easy type of love. We, we've got to learn to pray for those that, that stab us in the back. We've got to learn to bless those that are rubbing our names in the dirt. Because the body of Christ is more important than our differences. The will of God, the revival God's wanting to give us is greater than our own contentions. Praise God. And, and some might say, well, Jesus was just saying that. And, but I would say Jesus practices what he preaches. And I uh, bring you to John chapter 13. We have the scenario where uh, the Bible says the supper has just ended. And Jesus, the Bible says, he gets up and uh, he gets up from the table and he lays aside his garment. He laid aside his glory. And he took up a towel and girded it around his waist and a basin and filled it with water and stooped down and began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus had to lay aside his garment, but we've got to lay aside our pride. And, and he began to, to wash his disciples' feet there. It's, you only find this in, the, in John chapter 13. And, and the Bible says in John uh, 13 and verse 13, he says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. But here he tells us why he washes their feet. He says, If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. He was teaching us to be servants. And he was saying, if I stoop down to the menial task of washing your feet to serve you, then how much more should you and I serve each other? You see, the tradition was uh, the lowliest man on the totem pole was supposed to wash uh, everyone's feet when they were going to have a dinner of such like they were. But I, I read theologians believe that when everyone walked in there and uh, every, so, so every, no one wanted to wash their feet, uh, everyone was willing to wash the feet of Jesus, uh, but nobody was willing to wash everybody else's feet. So therefore, no one's feet got washed. Because if they washed Jesus' feet, they were going to have to wash everyone else's. And their pride stood in the way. And so Jesus, after the supper was ended, stood up and He did what they were unwilling to do. You've got to learn to lay aside that pride that sets you apart. You've got to learn to minister to each other. That's the, that's the main purpose of this, uh, of this portion of Scripture. And, uh, but I want, to, I want to bring your attention to this because... Jesus waits till after he washes his disciples' feet and he says this, one of you are going to betray me. Jesus knowing all things, he already knew that Judas had sold him for 30 pieces of silver. He already knew that Judas uh, already made up in his mind, I'm going to betray Jesus. I'm going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus could have easily said before he began to wash anyone's feet, one of you are going to betray me so he can get the betrayer out of the room. So he can get the backbiter out. So he can get uh, the enemy out of the room. But he waits until after he washes their feet to say one of you are going to leave me, will betray me. 
And the Bible says that Judas gets up and he leaves. And watch this. Watch this. Jesus says these words after Judas walks out the room in John 13, verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And watch this. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, uh, if ye have love one to another. Look at the context here. Jesus washes the feet of all his disciples, uh, including the feet of Judas. Uh, and then he says, You're going to betray me. And Judas leaves the room. Then Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you have this type of love for each other when you're able to minister to those that backbite you when you're able to serve those that hate you when you set aside your differences and you put the will of God first you put the kingdom of God first and you're able to minister to the feet of Judah We've got to learn to minister to the feet of... We've got to learn to wash Judas' feet. Uh, we've got to learn to minister to Judas. It's easy to pray for my wife. Uh, it's easy to pray for my son when he's got a fever. But it's a little harder to get on my knees uh, and pray for those that hate me. It's a little tough, Pastor, to get on my knees uh, in intercessory prayer and pray for those that want nothing to do with me. But if I want to be like Jesus, if I want to be like him, I've got to get to this place where the body of Christ is more, it's more important than my differences, than my own contentions. Because the last lesson that Jesus Christ ever taught before he died was, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The last lesson that he taught us before he died was even when you're being crucified, you've got to learn to forgive. When you're being crucified by others, when they're throwing stones at you, Stephen, you've got to learn to say, Lord, lay not this sin to their children. Because their soul is more important. The body of Christ is more important. God's will, God's revival is more important. We've got to learn to minister and pray for those that persecute us, that despitefully use us. And uh, Jesus, you can read this in the book of Matthew, whenever Judas kisses him on the cheek, Jesus calls him friend. Before Judas ever asked, for forgiveness, Jesus called him free. I've already forgiven you, Judas, before you've ever asked for it. Well, it's easy for us to say, well, you know what? If they come to me and they're really sorry, and I see some tears and some real remorse, and they've got a real repentant heart, and maybe they can gain my trust back, then maybe I'll forgive them. Then I'll let go of this grudge and set our difference to the side. But God said, no, you've got to learn to forgive them before they ever ask for it. Right. Hallelujah. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19, he says this, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. If you read that portion of Scripture beforehand, you'll find that the context is contention. The context is discord. And God is simply saying, 
if you could ever set those to the side and get together in unity and to agree, agree together in one thing. He says, there I am in the midst of you because unity compels God to move. I had a pastor tell me one time, he says, uh, he says, we pray for revival, but he says, we pray for unity more. Because unity, uh, revival is a byproduct of unity is what he told me. Because where there's unity, there I am in the midst of them. Unity moves God. Unity compels God to move. We've got to learn to set our differences to the side, church. Uh, God's got plans for you, and He's got greater plans for this body and for Newark, Ohio. And we've got to learn to love each other. We've got to learn to have the agape type of love, the selfless, sacrificial type of love. Praise God. Praise God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 22, I'm about to minister. I'm going to minister to somebody right now. Uh, God put this on my heart for you. I don't know who you are. I, there may be more than one. But he says, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Amen. That word feeble means in the Strong's Concordance, it means uh, uh, strengthless. To be without strength. One definition says, lacking physical strength as a result of illness. Which means because of your temporary circumstances, you're not as strong as you once were. And then that word necessary means needful. One translation says indispensable. Amen. Paul was simply saying this, uh, because of your current situation, because of the trials that you've been having to endure, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're worn out, you're feeble, you're, you're a little frail right now, you're a little weaker than you used to be. You may not be operating as efficient as you once were. You may not be praying as much as you once were. You may not be reading as much as you once were. But he says even though you may be feeble right now, even though you're a little weak right now, he said you're still needed in the body. You're indispensable in the body. Your weakness is not have to be a sign of defeat. God said my strength is made perfect in weakness. Come on, somebody. The enemy's been telling you to stay home from church. He's been trying to separate you from the body because of what you've been going through. But I'm here to tell you tonight, there's still a purpose for you in the body. There's still a destiny for you in the body. There's still an anointing for you in the body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even though you were a little weak right now, you're still indispensable. You're needed in the body. You're, you're needed. You're, you're, you're indispensable because you see when uh, the body is healthy, it, it, it ministers to itself. We know what God 
can do. He can do exceeding abundantly. But can I tell you, there are some things that God intends for the body to do amongst itself. There is some ministering that you are supposed to be doing amongst each other. And when the body is healthy, there's white blood cells flowing throughout our body. And their job, their purpose is to look for an infirmity. They're looking for infection. They're looking for a disease. They're looking for a wound. And when they see that disease, they rally together in unity. And they go and minister to that infirmity. They go and minister to the weakness of the body. They don't gossip about each other. They don't rub each other's name in the dirt. They don't go post it all over Facebook. So-and-so's having problems. Maybe they'll slip up. Maybe they will fail. No. They say, brother, I've got you. Sister, I'm here for you. However long it takes, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to fast with you. We're going to get through this thing together. Amen. They minister to each other. The body, when it's healthy, it ministers to each other. It ministers to itself. Amen, amen, amen. Musicians, if you'll come, I'm getting ready to come to a close. We're meant to minister to each other. And if we're not careful, life will pass us by. We can get so busy. We can walk right past a need and never notice it. How many needs are you walking past every day that God's been waiting for you to minister to? How many people are waiting on you, dependent upon you to pray for them, to invite them out for lunch, to give them a word of encouragement? Yes, God can do it, but maybe God wants you to do it. He wants to promote unity. I think about that poor man in Mark chapter 5. And uh, Jesus, he tells his disciples, they say, he says, let's sail to the other side. We're going to get to the ship and sail to the other side. He doesn't tell them why. He doesn't give them a reason. He just says, let's go. When they get to the other side, we found out the reason why. Because there was one man. There was one need that needed to be met. There was a man that was possessed by a legion of demons that was cutting himself day and night in the tombs, wishing that he would die. And Jesus heard his cry. He heard his sorrow. And I find it interesting because Jesus knows all things. His disciples did not know. But He taught them something along the way there. We know that they encountered a storm sailing to the other side. There was an inconvenience in their day. But Jesus was showing them that it may not always be convenient for you. There's not a thousand over here I'm coming to minister to. There's just one need. But I'm willing to go through a storm to meet that need. I'm willing.
willing to go through an inconvenience to meet that it may be inconvenient for you you may have to reschedule some things you may not be able to play golf that day you may not be able to go uh, do whatever you had planned on your schedule that day maybe you need to go call up a brother and sister and let them know that you love and Jesus shows us some things in this portion of scripture he shows us that with just a few words he can cast out a legion of demons because he has that power but watch this in Mark chapter 15, uh, Mark 5 and verse 15. After he heals the man by the, that was possessed with the legion of demons, it says, speaking of them in the city, they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Jesus could have left. His job was done, but he stayed there a little longer because he wanted the people in the city to see what he had done. And I wonder what they thought when they said, oh, there's that man that we wrote off. There's that man that we wanted nothing to do with. There, there's that man that we rejected God. And Jesus was simply showing them that, hey, you rejected this need. Maybe he didn't start off with the legion of demons. Maybe it was a small thing. Maybe it was a little wound or a small infirmity. And wounds that will be are left untreated, they get worse. They become fatal. I had to come all the way across the sea through a storm to minister to a need that you've been letting go by. He showed them I had to come do what you were not doing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And watch this. In chapter 19, verse 19, the man obviously wanted to go with Jesus, Pastor, when he was sailing, getting out to leave. Watch what Jesus tells him. He says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great the things the Lord hath done for thee. You can go with me because I need you to go tell them what I did for you. And watch this. And had compassion on thee. Go tell them that I had compassion on you. We need to get a passion for compassion. We've got to don't walk by a need every day and let it go be left untreated. There's, there's, there's needs amongst us here tonight. Some of us here tonight, you've got a facade on. You've got it look, you look all together. You got your suit, you got your hair fixed, and, and you, you're putting on a show because you feel that you need to. You feel that you don't you don't want to let anybody know that you're struggling. You don't want anybody to know that you're holding back tears in your eyes. But can I tell you, you're in a safe place. You're in a healthy body. It's okay to let them know I need some help. It's okay to let them know I'm struggling a little bit because you're needed in the body. Would you stand with me right now, church? I don't only do this, but if you would be willing, I ask that you would come to the front tonight. But don't come by yourself. Bring somebody with you. and You don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what they're going through. But let them know, hey, I'm here for you. I'm on your side. I'm not wishing against you. I'm praying for you. I'm going to minister to the need.
tonight. Let the body begin to minister. God's going to heal some wounds. God's going to take away some scars. But he's going to use you as an outlet to do it. He's going to use you as an outlet to do it.